Last month, the 21st Century Cures Act was introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives and approved unanimously by the Energy and Commerce Committee. The mission of the bill is to bring our healthcare innovation infrastructure into the 21st century, in part by accelerating the process of drug and device approval. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jerry Avorn, Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Chief of the Division of Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomics at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Avorn has co-authored a perspective article on both the promising and the concerning provisions of the new legislation. Dr. Avorn, an underlying premise of the 21st Century Cures Act is the need to accelerate approval of new drugs and devices, even though the Food and Drug Administration currently evaluates products almost as quickly or perhaps even more quickly than any regulatory agency in the world. So what's behind the push to speed up that process even more? Well, you're absolutely right, Steve, that the approval rate and speed of the FDA is already quite high and, in fact, is now running between six and ten months to take a completed dossier that a company provides and turn that into a decision on the drug, which is normally and quite commonly an affirmative decision. So this part of the bill is trying to fix a problem that really is not a problem. The FDA, as opposed to the bad old days of the early stages of the AIDS epidemic, when I think most people agree the FDA was slow and had trouble getting off the mark and getting new drugs approved, that is many, many years past. And in fact, they are as quick as any regulatory agency in the world, as reflected in some papers published in the New England Journal in the last several years, and also tend to make good decisions and make them thoughtfully and rapidly. So this whole idea that we have a problem because of these government bureaucrats taking too long to approve drugs is really a problem that does not exist in a meaningful way. As you write in your article, the legislation would encourage FDA to rely more heavily on biomarkers during its evaluations and to use more evidence from clinical experience rather than from randomized trials. So what would be the implications of changes like that? Well, this is the most worrisome piece of the proposed legislation, and that is effectively lowering the standards that FDA would apply in order to determine if a drug is safe and effective and available for use. There are some biomarkers that are useful, and by that I mean a lab test that a drug can influence uh, for the better, which we hope will predict patient benefit, such as lowering LDL by a statin, which we hope will mean that a patient who takes that statin will have less cardiovascular disease. That seems quite reasonable, but The bill urges the agency to look further into other kinds of biomarkers that might be used instead of patient outcomes as the grounds for approving a drug, and that is potentially an area of mischief because we've seen experience with biomarkers uh, such as in the case of rosiglitazone or Avandia for diabetes that improve the biomarker of hemoglobin A1c but actually increase the risk of myocardial infarction. So It is not always the case that relying on biomarkers is going to be a good way to get new drugs to market if they replace more conventional assessments of patient benefit. In another area, there's been substantial concern about increasing rates of antibiotic resistance and discussion of ways to reverse that trend. What would this legislation mean for the antibiotic pipeline? Well, there also are provisions in the legislation as it is now written, and it is still being debated and may well be amended, that gives the Secretary of Health and Human Services extraordinary powers to approve new antibiotics based on clinical trials or even non-clinical research that is a much, much lower standard than anything that we have ever used in this country before to approve new antibiotics. 
Now, the Secretary of HHS already has broad powers in case of bioterrorism or an epidemic such as Ebola to rush new drugs into use. So that's not really an issue. But what it would do is make it possible for drug manufacturers to present a new antibiotic to the FDA and, in a sense, to skip over a lot of the more useful measures of patient benefit and have them approved by in vitro assays or pharmacokinetic and bio microbiological assessments that are quite different from patient outcomes. The bill could also have implications for patient consent, specifically in clinical testing that poses what are called minimal risks. Why do you think legislators took up that issue, the issue of consent, and what changes would happen in practice if this were to pass? Well, this is an important issue as well because it brings up the fact that many Washington observers have compared the 21st Century Cures Act to a Christmas tree or a Hanukkah bush, I guess, in which many ornaments are hung that don't always fit together, but as it made its way often from the desks of lobbyists for the various industries involved and into Congress, things got added on that different groups wanted. And the idea that one could kind of go lightly over the issue of patient-informed consent was one of those issues that I guess people felt would make it cheaper and easier to run clinical trials. But in doing so, of course, it could put at risk some of the most important ethical issues that we have held dear about patients in clinical trials, namely saying, you don't really need to have informed consent if the study seems to be posing minimal risk. But the issue I raised in the article in the New England Journal was, well, who's to determine whether it really is minimal risk? And are we going to just undo our whole IRB process in order to accommodate this piece of the law? Two ornaments that you see as beneficial in the bill, one an increase in the budget for the National Institutes of Health, and another to make more de-identified data from clinical trials available to researchers. Are there other ways that those goals could be accomplished, or do you think that it requires this bill? You're quite right. The, the way to get more money to the NIH is for Congress to increase the NIH's budget, and one does not need a complicated bill like this one to change around the way we approve drugs and look at issues around clinical criteria for drug efficacy and patient-informed consent. Congress could simply say NIH's budget is at a 15-year low when corrected for inflation. One could look at the fact that really the important source of the cures of tomorrow comes from the basic NIH research of today and of yesterday, and that if we are cutting back on that as we are, that is the single most important way that we are putting the new drugs of tomorrow at risk. So Congress, yes, could simply say we have been underfunding NIH. Let's give them the money they need to do their job, and that would be that. But I think that in the strange ways of Washington, the more money for NIH was a plus that was going to be offered to Democrats and others not on the far right in order to get them to accept the other aspects, which many people feel are kind of giveaways to industry lobbyists and to come up with some sort of a strange Washington balance. But you're absolutely right that one could simply give NIH more money in an appropriation process and be done with it. Finally, what are the prospects for this bill? Do you see it becoming law in its current form? Very hard to know. It certainly did sail through, as you noted, its committee reading in the House. And there are many people behind it because of the fact that on the superficial surface of it, it sure sounds like a good idea. Who could be against having new drugs be developed faster and easier and become available to the American public quicker? And yet, the reason I was pleased that the journal ran the piece that I wrote with Dr. Kesselheim 
in fact, those are good sounding goals. But if to get there, we end up doing damage to our drug evaluation infrastructure, that is a pretty high price to pay. And I think we'll find out in the coming months whether that nice shiny wrapper that the drug is in about cures for the next century is really going to get unwrapped and have people look at what's inside it and anyone's guess as to what will happen. Thank you, Dr. Avorn.